With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. I was thinking about writing a swan song for myself because I'm old. <laughs> and that song just kind of plopped out like, you know, when it, a, a cat throws up. Have you ever seen the cat throwing up? You know, it like looks at it like, whoa, what's that? As if you didn't even do it. Welcome back to Working. I'm your host, Isaac Butler. And I'm your other host, June Thomas. June, we just heard the great folk singer-songwriter, Suzy Roach. I can't wait to talk about your conversation with her and her daughter, Lucy Wainwright Roach. But first, the days are getting shorter, the air a bit colder. While we're recording this, there's a surprise uh, snow flurry going on outside. Mm -hmm. We're stumbling towards a very peculiar version of the holidays. How's it going for you? Well, 2020 has been the year when... I finally learned how Prospect Park, which I live very close to, changes with the seasons. Because instead of getting my exercise, uh, if you can call it that, on my commute to work, we're now taking walks to and in the park. And so pretty much for the first time, I actually know what's going on in the park. But I am aware that as it gets colder, I'm less inclined to linger in the frigid air or frozen precipitation. So... I'm like preemptively worrying about becoming a total shut-in. I'm not there yet, but I can see it coming. Uh, But I'm also a very lucky person in that I enjoy the holidays without having to put too much effort into them. Like we never host or even attend really big gatherings or send or receive a ton of gifts. So it's really easy to find it fun and not terribly overwhelming. What about you? Yeah, I mean, there are things about the holiday season I miss. We used to always, um, our holiday card was always a photo of Iris in front of the Temple of Dender. So you see her getting bigger and bigger with the Temple of Dender in the background at the Natural History Museum. Of course, we can't do that. I just finished a big project, as you know, and I usually like to recharge by like spending my days at film forum and at museums, just kind of, you know, recharge. And I can't do any of that stuff. Um And uh, I'll admit I'll miss the Slate holiday party and seeing you and your partner there and catching up about your latest trip to Japan and all that (laughs) stuff. I mean, that was really a a fun part of the year for me. Um, But at the same time, the smaller scale is a little more manageable. You know, my calendar now makes more sense. I now have more time to do the things that I actually, you know, want to do. December normally feels like a real, it's probably the most exhausting month of the year yeah. normally. And and now is the time that I get to spend it trying to recharge with my family. So there's, there, there's an upside to it for sure. For sure. And uh, speaking of family, you interviewed <laughs> uh, creative collaborators who are family today, Suzy Roach and Lucy Wainwright Roach. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about them and their work? I can. So Susie Roach and her sisters, Maggie and Terry, they were together, the Roaches. And they were probably my favorite group when I was in college. They were big in Britain at that time. And so I saw them a lot uh, during my college years. And in many ways, their records, the Roaches and Nerds, 
at least, uh, were the soundtrack of my college years. And it seems fair to call their music folk music, but a lot of their appeal to me was that they really brought an American idiom to the music. Um, I was pretty familiar with like the British folk tradition that's very much based in traditional songs or contemporary compositions that were just as dour as those old songs. And the Roaches sang, first of all, in this unbelievably tight harmony, which they could reproduce perfectly in live appearances. Your words go through and through me and leave me totally dazed. And the songs were about things that would matter to three young women in their 20s, like getting jobs and holding on to jobs, or getting back jobs, or upsetting their parents, being attracted to the wrong person, being nerds. Um, They would open their concerts with the song We, which is a biographical number, and I think the first verse gives you a sense of the appealing casualness of the language. It goes, We are Maggie and Terry and Susie. We are Maggie and Terry and Susie. Maggie and Terry and Susie Roach. We don't give out our ages and we don't give out our phone numbers. Give out our phone numbers. <laughs> Sometimes our voices give out, but not our ages and our phone numbers. So it's silly, but um, like very delightful, you know? Uh, Lucy Wainwright Roach is the daughter of Susie Roach and musician Loudon Wainwright III. And she grew up on the road with her mom and her aunts. And as we'll hear, even though she thought she was going to become a teacher and she trained as a teacher, she has been working as a professional musician for her whole adult life, uh, recording and touring solo and also appearing with people like Amos Lee and the Indigo Girls and with lots of family members. Apart from working with her mother, which she's done a bunch, um, she's also performed with her sister and brother from another mother, which is to say Martha Wainwright and Rufus Wainwright, who are themselves the offspring of two great musical dynasties since their mother was Kate McGarrigal, another folk singer who sang beautiful close harmonies with her sister, Anna. Uh, And Susie and Lucy just released an album together called I Can Still Hear You. Amazing. Amazing. You know, it is funny that you say that thing about them being classified as folk, but not always feeling as folk. Because, you know, one sign of that is that the Roaches' first album, the self-titled one, is produced by and has electric guitar played by Robert Fripp, who is, of course, the man behind King Crimson and the electric guitar soloist on Talking Heads Remain in Light. You know, he's a prog rock god, but he produced this beautiful, beautiful, very funny folk album. It's one of my one of my favorites. Um Before we get to the interview, we Mm. should mention that Slate Plus members will hear a little something extra from your conversation. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, we talked about how the pandemic has affected their work. And I also learned a lot about the roots of the Roach's Christmas album, which is called We Three Kings, and which I think for a lot of people is the ultimate signal that the holidays have arrived. Listeners, if you subscribe to Slate Plus, you could get the ultimate signal that the holidays have arrived, (laughs) along with all sorts of other bonus content and ad-free podcasts. So why don't you sign up right now? You can get two weeks for free. Just go to slate.com slash working plus. All right. 
Now let's hear June's conversation with Suzzy Roach and Lucy Wainwright Roach. This episode of Working is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love listening to in-depth interviews and discussions of craft and the creative process or whatever the heck it is all the other podcasts you listen to do, you call the shots with what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Who are you? What do you do? And how do you know each other? Well, (laughs) (laughs) I'm Lucy Wainwright Roach. And I'm her mother. (laughs) And what's your name? My name is Suzzy Roach. And uh, (laughs) I have been, anyway, before the pandemic, a uh, touring musician, Mm -hmm. a writer, performer, songwriter, theater artist, God, I've done it all. You have, amazingly. Um, The two of you released an album at the end of October called I Can Still Hear You. First, I have what might be a dumb question. Um, Is it very different to sing in two-part harmony as you mostly do? I know there are other people singing on the album, but, you know, when it's the two of you, you're singing two-part harmony as opposed to three-part harmony that you sang for many years, Susie, when you were performing with your sisters, Maggie and Terry in The Roaches. Yes, it's very different because in three-part harmony, you're always defining the chord that you're singing. And in two-part harmony, the third note of the chord is variable. Boy passed by an apple tree, stopped at the garden bed. Flower faces stared at him, yellow, purple, black, and red. So you can sing two parts without completing the chord, if that makes any sense. So you're very aware of that um, when you're writing. I mean, when you're writing, say you're writing a song, are you thinking of the harmonies that will kind of surround the notes that you're writing? Um, Or or to what extent are you aware of it and to what extent is it sort of instinctive? Well, for me, I always hear harmony parts when I'm writing. I guess it's just because I've been doing it that way for years. But I don't know. What what would you say about that, Tynes? Um I mean, I th- I would say that if I'm writing, I'm just relieved that I'm writing somehow and I just <laughs> do whatever happens and don't think about anything at all, if possible, until afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really curious, like, can you talk about how you begin to write a song, like, How do you get into the right mood? Well, it could happen at any time. 
you know, it, it really could happen when you're walking around the street or it, it could happen uh, if you pick up your guitar or if you're listening to somebody else's song. I'm always looking for the possibility, though, that it may happen. What about you, Lucy? Well, I agree that sometimes hearing something else or being somewhere or just picking up the guitar will do it. But one of my very non-romantic avenues towards writing is when you have to write something. (laughs) That's a good way to have to start. That's an interesting mood to kick things off. In what circumstances do you have to write a song? Well, (laughs) for example, on this record, I had made a record the year before and I didn't have any new songs and I wanted to contribute a song, at least a song to this record. And I don't know if that would count as having to, but I set (laughs) out to write a song for this record, but I had no idea what it would be. And then in retrospect, it seems like obviously it would be the song it was. That's the funny thing is that even though you feel like you're doing it almost on assignment at some times, it, it sort of magically seems like it was meant to be somehow, if you're lucky. So, Can you remind me which song um, you wrote for this album? I Can Still Hear You. Oh, the so the title, title track. Song. Yeah. Remember the words or the parts that you saved or carousel horses or how the summer behaves or off in the distance Remember me too, cause I can still hear you. Can you kind of talk us through that song? Like, um, even if it's just like which came first, the concept, the lyrics, the music? Sure. I mean, we we had started recording the record in, in um, Nashville with... Uh, my friend and our producer, uh, Jordan Hamlin, and we were working down there and I was aware that I was sort of like, I needed to be thinking about writing, but I, I hadn't started at all and I had no idea what it would be about. And then by the time we finished the first week of recording, the pandemic had begun. And so um, then we went home and we never ended up going back to Nashville because of the pandemic. So Two weeks earlier, I had no idea what on earth I could possibly have to say about anything. (laughs) And then it was the pandemic, and the song kind of came out of having a lot of time on my hands, uh, being just at home in New York during the most shutdown part of the shutdown, um, when everything was quiet except for the sirens and stuff. And and that's where that song came out of. So it's sort of like it handed it the up. The song appeared out of that even though it seemed like there was nothing then suddenly there was something as I said I was a big fan of the roaches and there was something about I don't know if you say like this is a roaches song you know there was a particular style and often it kind of seems you the first time you would listen to it, it seems kind of silly often not always but often uh, and then actually you would realize wow this is really profound and on the new album um swan duck song kind of reminded me of that tone like starting there's like these sort of jokey lines and then suddenly you you're kind of listening to the lyrics and realizing no this really is a song that has profound meaning uh can you sort of explain where that song came from and how it evolved 
Yeah, that song, the swan duck song, I was thinking about uh, writing a swan song for myself because I'm old. <laughs> and I was thinking, well, this is probably it for me. And, you know, that was just a little idea that kept coming to me. Uh, but I didn't do anything about it. But one day I sat down and just that song just kind of plopped out like, you know, when it... A, a cat throws up. Have you ever seen the cat throwing up? <laughs> uh, all too often, yes. <laughs> well, it, you know, it like looks at it like, whoa, what did I, what's that? As if you didn't even do it, you know, if the cat, as if the cat didn't do it. So then I, of course, realized it wasn't really a swan song. It was a duck song. I went to the pond today looking for the swan, but the swan had turned into a duck. Tough case, bad luck. But the quality you're talking about, about taking something that almost seems silly and it actually then leads to a, a profound idea, I think mm -hmm. I'm very drawn to that because mm -hmm. when I want to be serious, it mm -hmm. kind of gets maudlin. <laughs> And yeah. also, I like I like childlike things, you know, like fairy tales and children's books and things like that, you know, yeah. because I think that they often have that same quality where they don't seem like they're saying anything, but they do. Yeah. Can you sort of talk about the meaning of that song for you? Well, I think what it wound up meaning is that there's so much loss, you know, loss of identity, I guess, as you go through life. Mm -hmm. You think you're someone and then things change after going along the same way forever and then you change into something and it doesn't feel so good. But you have to go through that and then the next thing you know, you change into something else. <laughs> and I think that that's really true and it happens to be very relevant also right now with the pandemic because nobody knows what's going to happen mm. and it doesn't feel okay right now a lot of the time you swim the muddy water with your two dark feet your strange new heart doesn't even recognize its beat there is an old roaches song or so it's actually a traditional irish song i believe on the new album that was also on The Roaches and that you often used to perform uh, with your sisters, Factory Girl. I spy a fair damsel Far fairer than any Her cheeks like the red rose That none could excel Her Why did you want to revisit that particular song? I mean, I personally grew up listening to the Roaches sing that song on the road, and I always loved that song. And I love um, a lot of those traditional songs, but Factory Girl stands out because it's very hard to find those traditional songs where the woman in the story triumphs. Oftentimes yeah. they, they meet a very tragic end or are mm -hmm. terribly abused in some way mm -hmm. <laughs> and so uh that's one of the things about factory girl that's so great is that the female character in it is like kind of powerful and also in control in the story yeah. and um so that's that's a reason why that song 
at this moment is especially appealing. Plus, it's just a a beautiful song. Plus, it it I've known it for my whole life, so I'm very <laughs> I'm very into it. I love it. One of the themes in this record is, I think, a reaction to the whole Me Too movement. Mm. I shouldn't speak to for Lucy, but I, I think both of us do have been very affected by that. Mm. Uh, and I, I wanted to have a lot of songs that were in praise of women, you know, without an apology. You know, my sister, Maggie, died on the night of the inauguration of Donald Trump. Mm. And to me, that was like a starting point of this record. Mm. And the abuse, the constant abuse, the disgusting uh, comments, and and then and that leading into you know Harvey Weinstein and all all of it. It was like almost for me everything that I grew up, the changes that occurred in my lifetime seemed mm. to be wiped away in one fell swoop. You know, yeah. and so I got mad. Yeah. Um, just to get back, just ever so briefly to Factory Girl. I mean. It is a traditional song. It's not like you radically transformed it for this album, but it's not quite the same as the the kind of the old version. Like, were you kind of aware of wanting to do it differently uh, or not want to do an identical kind of rerun? Can you talk about that a bit? For me, that song, we had to find a new way to do it because um, for me, I have such a association with doing it with my sisters mm. and also on that song um amy ray sings as one of the characters oh, uh, wow. the, the the song is a dialogue between a woman who works in a factory and a man who is enamored of her and lucy sings with the indigo girls now mm. and mm. I have been very affected by the Indigo Girls from a long time ago. When Lucy was a little girl, it was the first time she met them. And so I had the idea to have Emily play guitar, and Emily and I kind of trade off guitar parts on that song. And Amy comes in as the character of the suitor of the woman. I stepped it up to just thinking to view her But at me she cast A proud look of disdain And so in that way It turns the whole thing on its head But also it's a full circle of You know, the roaches were a big influence For the Indigo Girls And then they were very big influence on my life and Lucy's life and it was sort of a way to connect all of the things that have been happening. Yeah and then I would just add another thing for people who know the old version and who would hear the new version is that you in a more technical sense one of the changes is that when you spent some time with the song alone to put down your guitar part you changed the feel of the time of the song so it's it's I don't. I. I don't even actually know how, what technically how to describe how it's different. But the feel is very different from the original one, and by very I mean slightly, and yes. yet it makes a big difference. 
You mentioned your sister Maggie uh, passing away, Sozi. There is also a song by her on the album, uh, which I believe is the first time it's been recorded. Yes. Uh, that's Jane, right? Can you sort of talk more about why you wanted to record that song? I first heard that song when I was um, 16. My Aunt Terry gave me a cassette tape <laughs> of She and Maggie. It had 27 songs on it from 1973, I believe, that a cassette of them kind of both a mixture of demos and them just sitting around playing into a tape recorder. And it had a bunch of songs on it I'd never heard that I'd never heard the Roaches do. And one of them was Jane. And um, she had some kind of printer program that allowed her to print out a tape cassette uh, insert. And it said, Happy Birthday, Lucy. So uh, it really paid off because now we sing that song. And that's one of my favorite songs to do off of the record. It's really um, a pleasure to get to sing that song. Yeah, it's a really beautiful song too. Jane, I never called her Jane when she was here, but now if you ask me what I did last year, I call her Jane, it's like and I have loved that one for years um, from afar, but we never tried to tackle it. And then for this record, we we tried to to tackle our own version of it. So it's that was many years ago now, so it's taken yeah. us all these years to get around to, to doing our own version. One of my co-hosts I'm working, I know, is a huge fan of Hammond's song, which is in his, uh, he says it's one of the most perfect songs in music history. It was written by Maggie, right? That's right, yes. If you go down to Hammond, you'll never come back. In my opinion, you're on the wrong track. Is there's a story in the song. I mean, the song is a story, but... Um... Well, Maggie and Terry had met this guy who had a kung fu temple. Uh, As you do. In Hammond, Louisiana. And <laughs> by the time I was, was down there, when I arrived in the middle of the night by Greyhound bus, I realized quickly it was an abandoned telephone company building. And there were all these guys there who were studying Kung Fu and us. <laughs> and Maggie and I had jobs at a truck stop. And uh, Terry was working at the Magnolia Diner. And um, I, I really cannot tell you how strange it was. <laughs> it was very extreme. <laughs> but um, needless to say, my parents were not terribly thrilled about the whole thing. <laughs> and I think that that song, the Hammond song, um, has to do with that. 
We'll be back with more of June's conversation with Suzy and Lucy after this. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hey, listeners, we are going to do a special year-end advice extravaganza episode here on Working, and we would love to include your questions. Ask us anything you want. Maybe it's something about a collaboration or the creative process or a particular way in which you're stumped with your own work. We would love to help. Give us a ring at 304-933-WORK or drop us a line at working at slate.com. And if you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to Working wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's get back to the episode already. We talk about collaboration a lot on this show. Obviously, it's a key part of the creative process. Um, But it feels like there's something extra about collaborating with close family members. As we've said a lot uh, so far, Suzy, you've been working with family members for most of your life, um, first with your sisters and in recent years with Lucy. And Lucy, the same for you with, with your mom, but also with your sister Martha Wainwright and brother Rufus Wainwright. Clearly, music is a family business for the two of you, but that's how it seems to me from the outside. Suzy, is that how it seems to you too? Like it's just what your family does? Well, for me, I don't think I ever would have gotten into doing music if it wasn't for my sisters and doing it with them. I really like being part of a bigger thing than just myself. I I did do a couple of solo records and toured a little bit by myself, and I really didn't like it very Mm. much. Um, I love singing in harmony, and I like hearing other voices in my own songs, too. But um, Lucy does both very well. I mean, (laughs) we're very different. um, And as collaborators, Uh we're very different. I mean, one way I think about Lucy and I is that, have you ever seen that movie um, Chariots of Fire? Absolutely. For anyone who hasn't seen it, it's about two runners. And uh, one of them... Is like doing, you know, sit-ups and all sorts of exercises every day, and and uh, the other one runs barefoot through the woods, <laughs> and uh, you know is just naturally gifted as a runner. And I kind of feel like I'm the one who's doing, you know, uh, sit-ups and push-ups and stuff, and Lucy's just kind of barefooting through. <laughs> I don't know. I've never heard you say that before. <laughs> But uh, I definitely do think that it. I mean, I don't. I don't think either of us know any different, really, mm-hmm. from how how to uh, the the line between work and family, because w- you guys, the Roaches, started singing together as kids, too, and so, 
And then when I was a kid, all the adults were doing that together. And now (laughs) the adults still are doing that together. And in a way, we end up probably spending more time together as adults in a family than almost any other family I know because you're working. So, yes, it is about work. But, you know, there's a lot of in between the work, too. So there's a lot of time spent together and um, like a kind of a common goal. I mean, going on tour with your family is good because it's like a family vacation, but you're (laughs) hopefully getting paid and there's a a joint plan, you know, and everybody's going towards the same plan. So, but it's hard to speak to it in a way because it's in a vacuum of Mm -hmm. having always been that way, you know. Susie, Lucy, when you collaborate on a track, how do you divide up the work and how do you provide feedback on each other's contributions? I think between the two of us, we sort of stay off each other's backs and let each other be who we are. Because it's hard, both of us can be easily crushed by criticism. And um, often I don't know what Lucy should do. And (laughs) I think probably, you know, that works both ways. Every time I send something to Lucy or she sends something to me, we sort of just figure out our own part. And I'm always delighted by what she sends back. And once in a while they'll be like, oh, but could you sing this note on that one part? Because that's what I hear in my head. And and that there's no problem there. Yeah, mostly we agree, I think, is also mm-hmm. part of it. It's not like, I think. I mean, I don't know what you really think in your head. But <laughs> maybe you hear things and then you're like, ooh, but you don't say anything. But I think mostly we have a shared sensibility. But I also think that on this record, we we crossed over more than we normally do. Like, there's one song where I wrote the music years and years ago and then I didn't like the words so I scrapped almost all the words and I just gave that song to you and then you wrote the words for that and we've never done that before or for example on another song you wrote the song and then I sang the lead of the song which also we don't normally do switch that much around so there was a little bit more crossing over than we normally do wouldn't you say yeah yeah, it was fun to, to do a song together, write a song together, but it's kind of scary, too, because I didn't know if, if Lucy was going to like the lyrics that I wrote. But I also would never have written those lyrics if, if I was writing a song of my own. So it, it's, it's what I would call cross-pollen... What is the word? Cross- cross-pollinating. Yeah. yeah. And I did like the words to the song, and I was so sick of my own attempts at trying to write <laughs> lyrics to that song and so disgusted with myself that I gave them to you. And then when you wrote them, I was like, great, that's great. And then I wanted to take every half of a song that I have and give it to you to finish, <laughs> just to get it off my plate and be, you know, it's sometimes a relief to have someone else do something, take it out of your hands, you know. Yeah, because you would never write the same thing if you were doing it all yourself. So the collaborating is is a great source of energy, too, mm-hmm. because you have somebody else's energy coming in. Could you just tell me which the two songs were that you were talking about? Um, sure. The song Get the Better is a song that I wrote the uh, music to and, and the chorus of years and years ago. 
and then mom wrote the all the rest of the words she got a broken wing running through a dream a damsel in distress type thing i thought that she escaped in the nick of time but when i The other song was, um, I Think I Am a Soul. That was written by um, Susie, but you sang the lead. Yeah. Um, if you're dynamic together, even if it's just the way you talk to each other, the, the you know kind of the, how much patience you have with each other, anything is different when you're working on music or performing together than it is when you're like doing other things like cooking together or planning a family holiday gift exchange or whatever it is. Like, do you behave differently together when when music's involved? I think it's pretty similar. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's pretty similar. It's like Lucy said, it's kind of always been like that. So Mm -hmm. even when Lucy was a kid, she was on the road with us. So she was backstage and, you know, she knew how (laughs) she grew up on the road and we were just always going to shows and she was always going to shows. So it, it just very natural. Lucy, I believe, though, that you did. I don't know if attempt is the right verb, but you did. Um, for a while, you were a teacher, right? Attempt is a good word. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what, um, what did bring you back to music? I taught uh, elementary school and got my master's degree in education. And, and, it, and when I was a kid, that's what I thought I wanted to do. And in mm-hmm. college, that's what I wanted to do. And obviously in graduate school, that's what I wanted to do. Um, and I think what happened to me was that as I stepped further and further outside of the seat of the family, <laughs> I got further and further from the world of music, which had always just been built in. And so as I got older and went in another direction, it got further away. And then and then at some point I was interested in going back towards it, I guess. Yeah. Um, I don't know why, because I knew what a... <laughs> what a <laughs> what a difficult thing it is and yeah. I, I had no I don't have any excuse of saying I didn't know what was coming so right. I'm not sure why I did that but I did <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw you two performing together um, at Joe's Pub a few years ago and I'm pretty sure that I remember Susie you were you kind of indicated um, that the like romanticized notion of like a musician bringing up a child in Greenwich Village like wasn't totally accurate or ideal. <laughs> did you did you ever try to discourage Lucy from choosing a life in music or maybe even in New York? 
I don't have a feeling of ever trying to tell Lucy what to do. <laughs> I feel like she had a very strong sense of direction from an early age. It, it's odd. She seemed to know, always be interested in something, and she would just go about doing it. But as far as, I mean, I did, uh, I think I did once say to you, you know, if you can think of something else to do, maybe you might want to think about that. Well, you were, you were not, um, you weren't sorry that I finished my master's degree before <laughs> I left. <laughs> I was very happy about that, and I believe it was, wasn't it the day you got your master's degree that Rufus called you up and said, meet me at the, the tour bus and come Something on the road? Something like that. It was pretty much as soon I, I so now I'm, I have two degrees that I'm paying for, but I'm being <laughs> a folk singer instead, so that's, that's not a great setup. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Rufus, like, I mean, again, You've got two dynastic um, musical heritages, and I know you do collaborate with uh, with Martha and with Rufus. Um, like, are you recreating the Roaches? Are you recreating the McGarrigal sort of family dynamic? Are you aware of like that history when you are with them in whether performing or just hanging with them? Definitely. I mean, it's so present they really grew up in the seat of their mother's family and I really grew up in the seat of my mother's family so I think we really our dad that we share was sort of a like a more of a satellite figure (laughs) at when we were kids and our mother's families were really where we were Mm -hmm. so now as adults we know each other much better than we did as kids we spent have spent more time together around work than than we had otherwise, and it's an interesting cross, like a, a mixture, a hybrid mixture, uh, because we're in a way we're we form our own little unit of the family that shares my dad, even though yeah. we 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 were sort of stratified across different mothers <laughs> and different countries right yes in different countries um, and it's but it's odd because now a lot of times it's more often than you would think somebody will say oh i met you at such and such and they're basically talking about kate mcgarrigal or, or else no one or, knows who we are they're all mixes right. all up right, into right. a big pile right do you want to talk at all about sort of growing up, you know, the the, the cool rock and roll lifestyle of bringing up a, a kid in Greenwich Village? I mean, it is like it it is it's the most romantic thing. It's it's the the kind of the ultimate musical, you know, especially sort of folk music, folk adjacent music. Um, it's like being in Mecca, but it probably wasn't like a, a super ideal sort of situation, right? Well, uh, looking back on it, I think I was completely out of my mind. I don't know what I thought I was doing. I mean, we were living on a wing and a prayer. I mean, there was no safety net whatsoever. But also, having Lucy when I was so young, it was great for me because the the, um, entertainment world is so full of uh, traps that you Mm. could fall into, you know, ego traps or, you know, um, dangers, you know, uh, going off the deep end with drugs or things like that. And once you have a baby, you are not doing those things, hopefully, Mm. (laughs) you know, because, you know, there's an urgent uh, situation there. Somebody really needs you. And also, 
um, Lucy and I, we were just this like little team. Mm. It was fun, right? Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was fun. It, it was uh, terrifying too. But I mean, I wasn't terrified. I was having a good time. So <laughs> I missed out on the stressful part of that, I think. Uh, Lucy, as you've mentioned, you spent a good chunk of your childhood touring with um, with your mom and your aunts. Um, was there anything that you experienced in that time that you really wanted to avoid in your career or something that you wanted to replicate when you committed to a career in music? Well... You know, it's a lot, things are a lot funnier when you're with (laughs) other people on tour. (laughs) So I think one thing that I discovered going out on the road by myself, which is a lot more of what my dad has done in his career, I do much more of that, which is just yourself and yourself by yourself. And it's not as funny as when you have other people with you. It's also probably not as annoying in some ways because people don't get on your nerves, but yourself gets on your nerves, and that might be the worst of all. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when something goes wrong, like when when we're on the road together as a duo, when something goes wrong, it becomes funnier a lot quicker than mm-hmm. when you're alone and you just are in despair about uh, something going wrong or no one coming to the show or being in a terrible hotel. So I think... It's a very different thing to be alone on the road or together. But there are certain things that are, that are there no matter what, like the soulfulness of being out out and driving around and, and the connections that you make with other people who come to the shows and stuff. And th- those exist in both places. But mm-hmm. it is a pretty different um, thing that I didn't know a lot about until I did it by myself. Is this kind of the longest you, the both of you have not been touring for for while you've been professional musicians i haven't been home for this long in 12 years or 13 years it's shocking yeah i can imagine there are rooms that you've never decorated because it's okay i don't use that room but well okay we live in new york there are no yeah there are no extra rooms yeah no but i've been very amazed to find out how much more dish soap you use when you're home how many more times i've actually finished containers of milk which never used to happen because i was never home so wow yeah i think that um the fact that it happened to everyone Mm. And yep. all at the same time, you know, within one day, mm-hmm. every gig was canceled yep. for everyone. And that changes it from something that's just totally personal, you know. Yeah. And um, I don't know if that made it easier or harder. I, like, I think what Lucy said, it's shocking, mm. you know. Yes, but there's something, you know, when things start to fall apart in a bit-by-bit way, Sometimes we, as humans, think we can do something about it. Like, well, I'll just try to do this to fix it, or I'll just do this, or I'll, especially when you're an independent artist trying to piece together your thing. Mm. But this was so complete that, mm. in a way, it was sort of like, huh, well, there's nothing I can do about that. And in a way, that was uh, maybe a good thing because there was no scrambling to try mm. to fix it. There's nothing you could do about it. It's just done over, yep. you know.
Raise your hand if you are burnt out. If email is something that gives you like a shiver in your spine. You are not alone. I'm Shirley Leung, host of Say More from the Boston Globe. Our new series is Beating Burnout. We'll hear from Cal Newport, Krista Tibbet, and more. We'll talk about breaking bad habits and forming new ones. The cure for burnout is all of us caring for each other. Say more from the Boston Globe. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. First off, uh, June, before we actually (laughs) talk about the interview, I just wanted to say thank you for asking our guests about Hammond song. I think I should out myself here. I was the one who said it's one of the most perfect songs. I was the one who demanded that you ask them. And I actually <laughs> teared up a little uh, when you were talking about it with them. So thank you so much for bringing this perfect song into the interview and to our listeners. You are so welcome. It is a perfect song. Um, you know, the funny thing about it, though, preparing for this interview, when I knew I would be talking to someone whose work was had been so meaningful to me for many years, It was really an odd experience because it got me to look at songs that I was super familiar with, that I could like sing, you know, on cue, even as was the case. I hadn't heard them for many years. Um, And I always knew that that song was amazing. And as you said, you know, on the album, there's this amazing uh, guitar solo from prog rock hero Robert Fripp. But I never really like engage with the words. I would sing along with them without really thinking about it. So imagine my surprise to learn that it was literally about their going down to Hammond, Hammond, Louisiana, and their parents worrying that it would put them on the wrong track. Like, that's kind of crazy. And yet it is so utterly, utterly Roaches-ish. Yeah, it's great that it's so rooted in something kind of quotidian, but through just kind of leaving out a couple of details and through the power of the melody, it becomes about... Anytime you feel a longing for someone who you feel like is making a life mistake, and I think that's a pretty universal human experience. If you care about someone, there's going to be some moment where you're like, ah, you're fucking up your life. Don't do that. And that song really, really summons it. I think this is our first guest so far who is collaborating with a family member. I mean, we had Jessica Blank and Eric Jensen, who are husband and wife, but here it's mother and daughter. And that seems like it should or could be so (laughs) fraught. But for them, it it seems to feel very matter of fact. What, What did you think about their collaboration? Oh, I was so envious of their relationship and also of that collaboration, which seems to be one where they have absolutely total trust and feel able to just like share ideas and give feedback on those ideas without holding back. Um, From the outside, at least, there's like a Gilmore Girls quality to their relationship. I mean, Suzy was young when Lucy was born and they were on the road and generally in like cheek by jowl proximity. And then I hadn't really realized what an intimate act it would be to like write words to your daughter's music or sing lead on your mom's song. Like there's something really lovely about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one thing to, we're going to put songs that we each wrote together on an album. It's another yeah. to bring someone else's idea, a bit of their soul, soul yeah. to life. Exactly. I really appreciated, as I do whenever this happens with our guests, mm-hmm. with how forthright they were about the life of a touring musician. You know, yeah. we think of that life as as somewhat glamorous. Even if the glamour is a little grubby, mm-hmm. it's still, you know, sparkles in the in the moonlight. But, you yeah. know, actually being a touring musician and particularly a touring folk musician is a hard job. You're traveling all the time. You never know how good a venue or an audience is going to be. You know, it's not actually that fun a lot of the time. No, I agreed. I guess it's one of those things that 
you only do it if you are absolutely like addicted to it, that there's nothing else you would rather do. Because, you know, any job that involves travel, they're only fun like when you're fully, absolutely rested, when your health is perfect, which, you know, doesn't happen after the first three days. And adding on top of just the general stress of travel, like all the extra stress of stuff like, will the venue be full? Will I get paid? Will anyone buy the merch that I'm schlepping from town to town? Can I find a vegan hot dog? Like all of that stuff makes it just a really, really hard line of work. So yes, I was very relieved that they were so honest about that. Yeah. You know, another thing they were both very honest about that I was really struck by was the different origin stories for this album, for this project, that for Lucy, you know, it's, well, it's easier for me to write if I have a deadline, right? Like if I have something, (laughs) if I have to write, then I'm going to write, which is something I very much sympathize with. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's a writing comes out of a sort of logistical reality. But then for Suzy, it comes out of an emotional reality. She's writing from emotion. and, And for her particularly, it's a real rage at the Mm. anti-feminist backlash both of donald trump's election and the response to me too and that 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 anger fueled an album that is this beautiful uh i was really struck by yeah you know it's funny it was kind of jarring to hear that maggie roach died on the day of donald trump's inauguration i knew that she had passed away i hadn't made that exact connection with the timing and for a songwriter who's so driven by events and emotions knowing that Clearly, it was bound to lead to this burst of creativity. So it it makes perfect sense. Do you feel like you hear those two different origin stories in the album itself? No, no. I certainly would never have thought that Lucy kind of wrote that song on deadline. Never. That would never occur to me, which, (laughs) which, you know, of course, as it should be. But, you know, I don't think I really did with Susie's songs either because... I guess we always connect to certain songs and the songs that I connected to were were in a different vein. Um, I absolutely love Swan Duck Song, which we spoke about, um, which is about lives changing dramatically in like unexpected ways as we get older and continually changing. Or Jane, which is just a beautiful sort of love song by Maggie Roach or the great version of Factory Girl which I perhaps know too well from before for me to hear it as a Me Too song, even though clearly that's exactly what it is. So as soon as she said that, I absolutely recognized it, but that was not how I kind of appreciated it the first time around. So if our listeners uh, hearing this interview now want to go check out the album, what song would you start with? What song would you be like, listen to this one? Is it Swan Duck song for you? It is, uh, you know, as I said in the interview, It's kind of a silly song, or it seems that way at first. Uh, And then actually you realize not at all silly and also quite silly. Um, And so it it, to me that like represents something that's absolutely integral to the Roach's um, vibe. Yes, Um, absolutely. Right. It's like in um, Dear Mr. Selak when she says uh, when she talks about waiting tables and then I've been waiting for things to come true. You would not believe to come true. That pun is so moving and so funny at the same time. That really is 
the essence yeah. of their approach. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We hope you've enjoyed the show this week. If you have, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and then you'll never miss an episode. And yes, I'm going to give you a Slate Plus pitch. Slate Plus members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcasts, bonus episodes of shows like Slow Burn and Dear Prudence, But more importantly, you'll be supporting the work we do here on Working. And it's only $35 for the first year. And you can get a free two-week trial right now at slate.com slash working plus. Thank you to Suzzy Roach and Lucy Wainwright Roach for being our guests this week. And extra special thanks, as always, to our amazing producer, Cameron Drews. We'll be back next week for a conversation between Ruman Alam and George C. Wolfe. I am so jealous. Legendary director George C. Wolfe, most recently of the film of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. So make sure to listen to that. And until then, get back to work. <laughs>